is the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. And a very good Tuesday afternoon. Jane McNaughton here with you today and for the rest of the week. Coming up on the show, farmers have welcomed the news that recreational duck hunting will continue in Victoria after the state government held a marathon meeting yesterday to discuss the parliamentary inquiry that recommended the controversial sport be banned. In in the Western District, farmers are hoping the forecast of clear weather for the next week will give them the window they've been looking for to wrap up harvest. And this month, the dried fruit industry celebrated the launch of a new grape variety, which has been in development since 1999. Shoot me through a text of what you're doing out on the farm today or anything else we discuss on the program on 0467 842 722. But first today, it's been a busy time in the wine world with grape growers gearing up for an early vintage this year. But smaller yields and a dwindling demand are making it a tough season ahead. Chris Dent is a Swan Hill grape grower and chair of Murray Valley Winemakers Incorporated and says conditions haven't been ideal. Looking okay would be a generalised statement. You know, we've had some some interesting weather, for lack of a better term, uh, with some rain and um, overcast and humid conditions over that crispy New Year period. We're hearing that some some grapes have got a little bit of disease, mainly sort of bunch rots, um, and also a little bit of powdery mildew showing its head now. So not ideal conditions, but um, you know the timing of it wasn't the worst that it could be. As we get closer to harvest, and some people have already started now, that's when we really don't want the rains. Uh, but hey, we don't get to to choose that. Mother Nature dishes it up, and we have to have to adapt and overcome. And in terms of the disease concerns, how are growers managing that at the moment? Uh, it gets tricky because as we get close to harvest, um, we have some fairly strict protocols around chemicals we can use um, so that we don't have any issues with MRLs, maximum residue limits, in the final wine. So it's it's very limited what we can do from a spraying point of view anyway uh, around the diseases that may come about here on in. Um, there's other management techniques that can be done around slashing and weed control and and trimming to keep the canopy open and airflow happening. But, you know, everyone's in a different situation. Um, I will say that the, the disease that is out there is, isn't widespread, and if it stays dry, it's not going to be a problem. It'll only um, sort of rear up again if we have more humid and, and rainfall of any significance between now and harvest. Does that mean some growers are actually experiencing an earlier ripening season? Yeah, compared to the last two years, anyway, probably more. Uh, last two years, definitely, um, we are much earlier. I would say probably closer to average is the, the general feel. Um, but, yeah, people are starting to get into the thick of it from this week onwards, I believe. The earlier reports we're hearing is crops are a little bit light and maybe a bit too early to call on a general sense. But uh, I think from this week onwards, I think we're going to There'll be more and more tonnes coming through the wineries and um, more blocks being picked that will get a bit more of a feel. But that's the general feel there that the crops are light to average at best. And, uh, yeah, we've certainly seen on the white side of things, we have seen a fair bit of activity in the last week, you know, even on that spot market side. Um, wineries looking for a bit of extra fruit, which is 
which is good. So, you know, if we can make the most of the good bits, uh, it might just ease the, the, the pain of the bad bits. And then economics comes into it too. And as we started this season, we'd, we the writing was on the wall that it was going to be a challenging year economically um, with low demand and, and likely low prices. Are prices, particularly for reds, are they still under the cost of production? Yep. For most of the, the reds, like they're sort of thrown all into the one bucket bar, a few little pockets of sunshine. Um, and, yeah, no, the, the, price, the prices that have been released uh, are certainly below the cost of production. Um, and, you know, on top of that, even growers with contracts are being asked to grow less or deliver less to the winery uh, because the winery simply doesn't need it. And there's absolutely no market out there for for spot purchases. So if anyone has read and doesn't have a, a contract, it's really looking unlikely that those grapes are going to get sold this year. And so what are you hearing from, from growers? Are they How are they kind of navigating this whole situation? Um, some people have taken control into their own hands and, you know, either turned off blocks or, you know, walked away from particular blocks, particularly reds. Now, that may be just not doing anything or that may be um, choosing to use techniques to remove the crop off the vines early on, back at flowering in November. Um, so there was things, there was sprays you could use and, and pruning, a second pruning, you could um, remove the fruit and then obviously the vine doesn't have the crop and it is a lot easier to manage. Uh, so some people did that who were proactive and, and read the writing, read the tea leaves in the cuff. Others have uh, chosen to keep growing and just see where things go but do it on a, on a shoestring budget. Some of them may, it may pay off, but, um, you know, the feeling out there right now is that there's, there's just no market for, for any reds above what the wineries are already committed to. So they may have to put those grapes on the ground or they may choose to put the escalator or bulldozer in there after harvest. So, yeah, <laughs> there's all sorts of different um, practices going on at the moment. Murray Valley Wine Growers Incorporated. Chair Chris Dent speaking there with Faith Tavalugian. I'd love to hear what's happening on the farm at your place. It's 0467842722 is the text line. Meanwhile, harvest is well underway at Duxton, the Murray Valley's largest wine grape producer, with 2,500 hectares under cultivation, about 6% of Australia's total wine grape production. Duxton Vineyard's general manager, Wayne Ellis, says they've been expecting a small but good quality crop. That's our first night of pick tonight. So at Euston, we're picking Pinot Gris up here. We're picking Pinot Gris and Chardonnay on our town farms, um, which will start delivering to our um, Ducks and Bronga winery at midnight tonight. So from 6pm roughly tonight, we'll be in full swing. And what's the yield and quality like this year? Uh, yield's still a little bit down because we had uh, the flood and disease impact from last year. So down in Mildew, definitely the vines look healthy but the yields are a little bit down, but the wine quality is exceptional. So we're going to look at high wine. The yield will be below average for us, uh, and that's a recovery from last year's season. That was Ducks and Vineyards General Manager Wayne Ellis speaking there with Elsie Kennedy. The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. 
Well, farmers have welcomed the news that recreational duck hunting will continue in Victoria after the state government held a marathon meeting yesterday to discuss a parliamentary inquiry that recommended the controversial sport be banned. It's a sport that's banned in New South Wales, Queensland and Western Australia. I'd love to know your thoughts on the text line 0467 842 Just like Johnny, who has said that uh, at their place they've got more ducks than ever. They foul up the, dow- uh, they foul up the dams and spread poisonous blue-green algae. Well, Wayne Shields, owner of Peninsula Fresh Organics in the Mornington Peninsula, says he lo- he's lost tens of thousands of dollars due to Australian wood ducks eating his lettuce crops. Ducks are becoming a bigger and bigger problem for the agriculture in particular, and you know that's going to spill over into food safety issues soon if it's uh, if they're not kept under control. And I, I don't think that the duck shooters get that much of a go at them actually. So there's, there's bigger issues out there with the ducks. Wayne, we've spoken about this before, and I know that wood ducks are the breed in particular that frustrate you. So what kind of damage do they do to your lettuce crops? Oh, well, they, they can just move in overnight and take out the the whole crop. Like, you know, it's been um, quite detrimental to my business for several seasons. Um, we're sort of coming into the peak time where they're about to hit us. We've had a lot of rain this year, so there's there's a fair bit of green pick out in the horse paddocks and all that. So they tend to leave us alone while that happens. But you have two weeks with no rain and a bit of heat and um, all that green pick will burn off and they'll just move on to greener pastures, which, you know, tends to be um, the, the horticultural growers in the area. So we all get smashed. There's not a lot we can do about it. It's the numbers of them that's um, become the real issue. How much money do you think that you've lost from wood ducks eating your produce? Oh, you know, they could be doing $50,000 worth of turnover a week. You know, we rely on sort of that's the sort of money we turn over on our lettuce um, crops every week. And, you know, there's people's jobs on the back of that. Um, and they'll just take that out for three months at a time. So it's... um. It's a big issue. It's a big problem. Um, you know, we've tried everything there is, but at the end of the day, they, they're cunning, they're hungry, they can fly at night, they move around at night, they're relentless. And, um, you know, when there was one or two of them around, it wasn't a big issue, but, you know, they're moving around in flocks of 30, 40, 100. The numbers are just increasing every year. Jeff Borman, who's an MP for the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, spoke this morning on ABC Ballarat Breakfast with Steve Martin, specifically talking about the difference between uh, agricultural cull permit and the recreational duck season. Here's a bit of what he had to say this morning. Hunting is where you go out and you'll put maybe your decoys out there. You try and get the birds to come in. You're putting effort into it. You've got to hide and, and so on. When it comes to culling, uh, and you've got limits and you've got oversight and you have to um, you have to have, do get this, permits that, and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But when you get a permit to cull, what happens is you've, you maybe get a, a permit for 500 birds. You go and find 500 birds and you just keep on shooting until they, um, until you finished your 500. You're not required to pick them up. You're not required to uh, do anything. It's a lot harder for uh, law enforcement to look after um, or to enforce on private land. There's a massive difference. So that's Jeff Warman there, an MP for the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. So if you can get an agricultural permit to shoot ducks on your property that are pests, why do we need recreational duck shooting as well? I think it's probably more about just generally um, keeping the numbers down. I mean, we, we never had to apply for permits to get these 
to, to look after our crops in the past because there weren't numbers around. But the numbers are so high now that we're, we're having to go, as long as everyone, as with everyone else, we're all going to have to go out and get our permits to, you know, take care of this issue ourselves as best we can. And it's still not working. But, you know, years ago when there was less ducks around, um, when they were at, you know, more manageable levels, it wasn't an issue for anyone. And, you know, that was a recreational thing. People go out with their, their sons, their fathers, their cousins, you know, they get together and they, you know, they bond and they go and shoot a few ducks and they bring them home and have a feed. Now it's, now we're, we're sort of forced to go out and you know, control these these ducks and keep them off our dams, to keep our dams clean, to keep them off our crops. And, you know, there's no value in the community for that. That's just us trying to, um, you know, save ourselves, really. So, you know, there's a recreational answer to this, which, you know, we should allow that to happen. Is it difficult to get a permit for culling agricultural pests? Not when they actually come out and see the damage. <laughs> so it, it's you've got to go through a process. Eventually you'll get, get somebody from the department to come out and when they see the damage, they, they sort of, oh, yeah, I understand now. And um, they will give it to you. But then it's still on us to start shooting and, you know, our neighbours don't like it. They've all got horses, they think, you know, don't upset. Don't upset the horses, even though the horses are probably one of the things that have made the uh, the environment, you know, conducive for the wood ducks. So just we'd rather not have to deal with this issue. If the, if the numbers were lower, everyone would be happier. And just on a positive note, Wayne, uh, we were talking, you were saying earlier that it has been extremely wet in your part of the world uh, as it has across a lot of Victoria over this summer period, excluding the last week or so. So how is the lettuce looking? I'm assuming it's, I'm assuming it's booming. It's, it's all going all right, actually. Um, the ducks are sort of starting to take a little bit of an interest in it, but I've, um, I've, I've moved my cropping to another site, so hopefully they don't find that straight away. Um, yeah, so far, so good. We might pull through this year without too much damage, but um, that's more to do with the weather than... Um, than management because once they're once they're hungry they're they're, they're ravenous and they they will find it they can fly they'll find and they'll land in anywhere to get it. Wayne, thank you very much for your time on the Country Hour. Thank you. That's Wayne Shields, their owner of Peninsula Fresh Organics. Love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Zero four six seven eight four two seven double two is the text line, uh, and we know so far that this year's duck hunting season will run for eight weeks between the tenth of April and the fifth of June. Uh, there's a lot of other details that we are yet to be privy to, but we will bring them to you on the Country Hour as they come to hand. Uh, people have been messaging in with some opinions about the duck season for 2024 going ahead. Uh, one in here from Gary in Snake Valley saying most native duck species don't eat crops. They are filter feeders. Most ducks, uh, most duck shooters I have seen couldn't hit the side of a barn. I remember the saying that the duck shooters had amongst themselves a few years ago. If it flies, it dies. That's from Gary in Snake Valley. Uh, one in here from Farmer Joe as well, saying I'm a fourth generation farmer and believe this announcement is just pandering and appeasing to the rednecks. This is not a policy for a 2024 society. Thank you, Farmer Joe. Uh, another one in here with no name attributed to it, saying that I understand that some duck species can be an issue for farming, but how can it be okay to kill anything for a form of entertainment? Uh, one in here as well... Uh, 
It's from Al Farmer in the Wimmera saying ducks have been uh, great for bug management in the veggie garden here this year. We would have loved to have seen duck hunting banned, not just because ducks are part of a healthy environment, but hunters often trespass very close to the house and disturb the animals and our sleep. We need governments to invest in country sports and recreation that don't involve hunting. Thank you for that one. Uh, We've also got another text in saying that people across the state are anxiously waiting for the market reports, hoping that the the bulls are still firm, because what's the use of a bull that's not firm? Thank you for that one. And also I'd love to hear what you're doing today. Obviously, it's beautiful weather across the state. One in here from Farmer Dan sent me a photo of him raking Lucen. All that uh, and more, uh, welcome on the text line today. 0467 842 722 is the number. On ABC Radio Victoria, this is the Victorian Country Hour. And Jane McNaughton here with you today where it's just clicking over to 22 minutes past 12. Now, farmers may not seem like the most obvious choice to spruik sun safety, but as we heard yesterday on the Country Hour from Sue Brumby, a researcher at the National Centre for Farmer Health, and also from you on the text line, that melanoma is an issue for agricultural communities. So after a brush with the melanoma, two Tasmanian farmers want to spread the word about the importance of sun protection and getting your spots checked. While Bernard Atkins and Neil Von Roy of different stories, they both say their experience with cancer has changed their outlook on life. Lucy McDonald has the story. When Bernard Atkins picks up the phone, he's just returned from a fishing trip. The beef farmer, who hails from Stanley on the state's northwest coast, is no stranger to a bit of sun. But these days, he says he's much more careful about covering up. When we were younger on the farm, we we probably didn't wear hats and we certainly didn't have sunscreen, you know, um, and, you know, we were growing crops and you're changing irrigation, you just go to do it. And back then we had, um, well, we had one sudden cross for the rest of the sprinklers and pipes. And so you're just out in the paddock doing stuff like that all the time and generally always on the tractor, I suppose. But, yeah, um, as, a, as time's gone on and I'm a, I'm a fisherholic and I'm out in the sea a lot and, again, we didn't, you know, you didn't put on sunscreen. So... One of my mates was having a coffee one day. He said, mate, I don't like the look of that black spot on top of your head. And I said, right. He said, I've just been in the clinic. He'd been in the the Navy and he's already had two or three bits cut out of him. And he said, I'd I'd go and get that checked out. So I got an appointment and off I went. And um, he checked my head out and he said, look, it's, um, we've got it. It's a a wait and watch. Just, you know, this is not cancer at this stage, but it's, it's not looking real good, but we'll keep an eye on it. Um, and he's, he's checked me all over and he said, what's that on, on your lip? And I said, well, that's the cold sore that I've had for, you know, um, two, maybe going on three months. He said, oh, I don't like the look of it. Next day I was on the farm and I got a phone call. He said, well, I've got some bad news for you. Not only have you got a cancer in your lip, but it's very aggressive and we've got to get it out with, within 14 days. Okay. Um, so I had it out exactly within the 14 days. So the head was sort of put back on the back burner. But when I went for my three-month checkup with my lip, the specialist of the day um, um, said, yep, no, very happy the way your lip is. Oh, dearie me, he said, we better have a look at this head. And I said, what? He said, oh, I think it's, um, it's might have changed a bit, mate. And he said, I'm going to biopsy that while you're here, which he did. And, um, yes, it had turned to cancer. That was a bit bigger operation underneath. It was a bit bigger. Um, so I ended up with um, 40 stitches, which is pretty massive. Is there enough of a culture you know, in actually going and getting the health check and things like that? Or do you think that people still are like, hey, it'll be all right? 
it won't be all right because I'll tell you what, it's, it's becomes a life and death thing. It all depends uh, on a situation. And, and that's, you know, I've, what I've been through is I've been pretty lucky and I haven't made a real big thing of it till th- we've had a talk today. And, and, um, at the end of the day, I think it's one of those situations. If you're a farmer out there and you've got something's on the, that you're not happy with and it changes or something happens, you get it checked out and you should go and be checked out once a year anyway. Like Bernard, northern dairy farmer Neil Van Roy was a little lax on sun protection. He says if he could go back and change it, he would. I used to wear shorts and a T-shirt, no hat, no glasses, and now I wear hat and sleeves. And I, I just wish I'd known when I was young what I know now. <laughs> you can't undo it, though. What's happened has happened. Can you tell me you know, when you found out that you had melanoma? I went to the doctor and I had a spot on my ear and I was really worried about it. And they said, oh, it's nothing, it's just a skin spot. And I went back six weeks later and was back again. And then I went back again for the third time. They wouldn't listen to me. In the end, I just sort of got a bit annoyed. And I said, I want a biopsy. And they said, oh, you're wasting your time. I said, it's your time, it's my time, it's my body. That must be really scary that you went there you know, for help. You went to the right place and you say that they kept dismissing you. What was that like? I, by the time I got to the third time, I was crabby, really, really crabby. I just, because my dad died of skin cancer, so I knew that I possibly could get it. What was it like when you got the diagnosis? To be perfectly honest, when someone tells you got cancer, you go, oh, jeez. You sort of think, am I going to die or am I going to live? Or... But then... I'm a I'm a positive person, so I just pretty quickly go right. We've got to beat this. Let's let's get a plan. Tasmanian farmer Neil Van Roy ending that report from Lucy McDonald. And uh, yes, I too have a lot of cancer in my family, and would highly advocate for anyone to get regular checks for all kinds of cancer. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, and the Cancer Council website is a really great resource. You can always head there for any frequently asked questions, but always go to your doctor if you are concerned. Uh, currently, actually, have a friend who is just about to turn 30 who has just left the hospital uh, with a cancer that they got diagnosed early and cut out. So uh, it can happen to anyone at any age. So if you've got something strange going on with your body, go to the doctor and get it checked out. Uh, on the text lines 0467 842 uh, there's a little bit more discussion around the Victorian government's decision to go ahead with the 2024 duck shooting season. Uh, one here saying that in the Western District, uh, ducks are on their third clutch. I have never seen as many ducks as they are at the moment. That one there is from Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this one from Simon saying, surely duck populations fluctuate with weather conditions and the wet summers for the last few years have probably helped their numbers. Why kill them? The coming drought will do a much better job of reducing numbers. Thank you, Simon. Uh, Peg in Merbu North has said, the more land that's taken up with farms, the less natural resources left for the ducks. So if you stop shooting where they gather naturally, maybe they wouldn't go to your farms. That's from Peg in Merbu North. And uh, one here from Alan as well saying that if you need to shoot things to get your jollies, shoot rabbits. There are lots of both of them where I work. The ducks are beautiful and they're native creatures. The rabbits are prolific 
breeding feral pests that destroy crops. Thank you, Alan. Uh, for your thoughts on anything on the program today, that number is 0467 842 722. Uh, it's 29 minutes past 12 now, so let's head off and get some rural news from Sale with Emma Field. Good afternoon, Emma. G'day, Jane. You may have heard there's been some huge 24-hour rainfall totals in northwest and southeast Queensland, which have been great for some, but have caused huge damage for others. In the Lockyer Valley west of Brisbane, farmers are facing losses in the hundreds of thousands of dollars due to flooding. Shannon Moss of Malgawi Yowie Salads says his vegetable crops and irrigation have been wiped out, and it comes after devastating floods in 2022. It just seems to be worse than the 22 flood. Don't know why it just feels worse. Mm. Maybe I'm just a bit in shock still. The rain started about 10 o'clock last night, and I watched I watched the levee banks up until about 3:30 this morning, and then I finally just passed out. And uh, my son Jack woke me up at five o'clock this morning to say that the levee banks are broken, and the water was on top of us. Mm. So we physically here at not at Mulgair, we only had three inches of rain. So the most, most, most bulk of our rain comes out of towns and thought and further up the creek. So they've obviously had over 15 inches up there to get that amount of water coming down to on top of us. What kind of damage are we talking? Well, complete wipeout. We've we've probably lost over uh, we've lost over a hundred thousand dollars in pumpkins and watermelons that we were ready to pick, and we've lost in salads alone probably another hundred thousand in salads. This flood's worse for infrastructure damage and soil movement and erosion and pipe damage. A lot of debris in the paddock. And still on the rain, this time in Western Australia's northern goldfields and Nullarbor region. After enduring some of their driest seasons on record, some stations received more rain in 48 hours than they did for the whole of last year. Laverton Shire President Pat Hill manages Mount Weld Station and says they recorded 100 mils of rain in the last three or four days. A real beautiful, slow-drenching rain the last couple of days, which has been a real godsend to the bush and um, the whole area up here. And it's been pretty widespread in the northern goldfields, which has been really absolutely terrific. So even just to drive around the bush now, you can see the difference in the mulgars. They're all getting fresh and uh, leaves and stuff like that. They're all looking so much better. So how long has it been since you've seen something like this, Pat? It's about the best rain we've had here for the last four years. Last year and the year before, we just got over 139 mils for each of the years, and uh, that 139 was broken up by flash, you know, like thunderstorms going through. Not a widespread rain like this, but this is really, um, really terrific for the bush. It really is, and you know, for the whole area. To wine now, and while there's still no confirmation of a date wine tariffs on Australian product into China will be lifted. That's not stopping the industry from preparing. Chief Executive of the South Australian Wine Industry Association, Inca Lee, says it's important for exporters to be proactive ahead of any changes. Look, there's been significant changes. We've had COVID. There's been a lot of disruptions to the global wine world. Um, So today is about sharing macroeconomics in China, um, about the Chinese consumer, about sales channels and how new requirements have been put in place for South Australian exporters. And finally, lavender harvest has started in Tasmania, but for one farming operation it should be a lot quicker this year. Co-owner of Port Arthur Lavender, Brendan Dean, is trialling a brand new harvester instead of picking by hand. 
so we're we're working on a, a new lavender harvester. Um, currently, at the moment, it's a it's done with two people, and it's quite a arduous task. So we're trying to alleviate that part of it and go to a fully mechanicalised harvesting. When you say it's an arduous task, can you sort of uh, paint a picture for what it actually looks like regularly? So regularly, we would be uh, two people um, harvesting for about two and a half hours, uh, dragging. Uh, about a 60 to 70 kilo bag of flowers up and down 300 metres of rows um, so it does become quite a lot of steps you get your step count up that's for sure for the day um, so we're trying to alleviate that um, so hopefully within that two hours of harvesting we can probably bring that back to uh, probably 40 minutes of harvesting to harvest the same amount of flowers which is about we harvest about four to five hundred kilos of flowers most mornings. There's only um, two main manufacturers in the world that manufacture harvesters um, and they're based out of, both based out of Europe so they're quite expensive to bring in. The, there's currently only one of those in the state at the moment. And I'm sure their harvest will be a lot more enjoyable this year, Jane, with the new technology. And that wraps up Rural News. Thanks, Emma. Emma Field there with our rural news. A couple more texts in on the 2024 duck season going ahead. Uh, One in here saying, what a win for country Victorians letting families harvest their own sustainable meat. Uh, And another one coming in from uh, David in the southwest uh, with a similar vibe. Duck populations, why aren't we having them for human, why aren't we harvesting them for human consumption? They're just as good as domestic or farm ducks. There's an overpopulation at the moment, so why not use that resource and eat them? Thank you for your opinions on that. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, you're more than welcome on 0467 842 uh, Just about to cross now to Stephanie Miles at the Bureau of Meteorology. So if you do have a particular question about your patch for the Weather Bureau, please also send that through. Uh, good afternoon, Steph. How are you going? Hi, Jane. How are you? Not too bad. Looking forward to uh, getting out of the studio after the country hour and enjoying some sun here in Ballarat. Yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful day across the state, I would say anyway. I love the sunshine. I love the clear skies. Uh, But look around the state, especially in the southeastern part, there is a bit of cloud hanging around, but the rest is very much clear skies. And it looks very settled. We've got a very settled week ahead as well. We've got a nice big pressure, uh, high pressure ridge over us, which is kind of just bringing in some southerly winds to the southern parts of the state. And that really just means we've got some cloudier conditions in the morning, perhaps a couple of isolated showers and a little bit of drizzle as well on and south of the ranges in those southerly winds. But for the north of the state, very much drier conditions and more sunnier afternoons. And really those southerly winds kind of keeping those temperatures in the southern parts of the state around like the perhaps, you know, mid-20s to low 20s to mid-20s on and south of the ranges. But then in the north, a lot warmer conditions up and high 20s to early 30s or so. So I think by about Friday onwards, we've got about 33 degrees in Mildura uh, and then down in the south, only about 23 degrees in places like Sale and down at uh, Warrnambool as well. So look, it's very settled across the state at the moment. The next uh, big weather system, I guess, that's coming through, and when I say big, I just mean unsettled, uh, we do have a bit of a trough that's moving across the state on Sunday. So our winds are turning a little bit more northerly, and what that's going to do is drive those temperatures up over the weekend. So we'll have a sunny and warm weekend. But the trough that's coming through on Sunday is going to be in the southwest mostly in the afternoon and then move through over the night. It's actually quite a dry trough, but it does mean that ahead of it, those winds are kind of starting to pick up and get quite strong, which is driving those fire danger endings 
a little bit higher in the northwestern. So places in the Mallee and the Wimmera, make sure you keep up to date with your fire danger ratings. They are perhaps reaching extreme in those stronger northwesterly winds on the Sunday. But as that trough moves through on the Sunday night into Monday morning kind of timing, it does sort of get a bit of a cooler change on Monday. So it's Sunday that's the main reason, uh, sorry, main day for the fire danger ratings. But other than that, Jane, it's really just, you know, quite settled. You've got the same couple of conditions over today and then for the rest of the week and then warming up over the weekend. And then, you know, the outlook for the rainfall isn't quite happening either. So it's a bit of a, you know, benign weather week ahead at the moment. I'm sure that's very welcome for a lot of people who have had... Uh uh, all the trouble out on the farm with not being able to get out onto paddocks. It's obviously got a few days of drying off, which is fantastic. Um, you mentioned there on Sunday about the fire danger ratings. Are you, are you predicting potentially a total fire ban on Sunday for some parts? The, the bans are definitely set by the fire agencies, but we just set the fire danger ratings. So we'll just let you know the conditions that can potentially lead to any of the fires that it can be harder to control once lit. Yes. Yeah. No worries. All right. So uh, I dare say get, get as much done before Sunday and then maybe have a day in the air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Stephanie Miles, anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Uh, no, just enjoy a great week ahead, everyone. Thanks so much, Jane. Cheers. Thanks, Steph. Uh, you have a great afternoon too. Yeah, thank you. Stephanie Miles there from the Bureau of Meteorology giving us a pretty calm weather outlook, which is great news for many around the state, I'm sure. Uh, we've also got a text in here from Neville from Marupna uh, in the northeast of the state saying, uh, why not allow duck shooting on farms only and keep shooters out of the wetlands at least? Uh, this would... Uh, this would only need to register for any farm, farmers wanting shooters. Uh, that's one idea, Neville. Uh, there is going to be restrictions on the duck hunting season beyond what the last few years have been. Uh, obviously, we're not 100% sure of that information yet outside of the fact that the duck hunting season will run for eight, for eight weeks between the 10th of April and the 5th of June. Uh, and another one here from Jolene saying... Uh, hi, the duck shooting is nothing more than a blood sport. Supporters of blood sports don't consider the suffering and cruelty inflicted on their quarry. Killing our wildlife is no short. Killing our wildlife is no sport, and they should be ashamed of themselves. If you'd like to join that conversation, zero four six seven eight four two seven double two is the number to get me on. You're listening to the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. Jane McNaughton here with you today. It is 21 minutes to the news at one o'clock. And as we've just heard with the great weather forecast, Western District farmers are hoping that the forecast of clear weather for the next week will give them a window that they've been looking for to wrap up harvest. It's been yet another frustrating harvest for most grain growers in the region, battling regular rainfall events and struggling to find extended periods to keep their headers rolling. Anthony Mulcaney, who farms at Skipton and Vitevite, says the rain has been a big challenge again this summer. Uh, The weather's kept us guessing right from the beginning. We had a um, wet winter and then it dried out in spring and then when we started harvest it started raining and we've had in excess of 200 mils over the harvest period and we're still chipping away trying to finish it, uh, finish off harvest now. And, And the forecast looks like we've got the best harvest week coming Anthony, that, that dry spring, was that good for you to, to dry things out going into harvest before more rain came? Uh, it helped with some of the crops that had been waterlogged in this winter, but yeah, then it sort of it turned off a bit abruptly, I guess, and we would have benefited from a good spring rain in October. But overall, it's been, you know, we'll look back and 
been challenging to get the grain off, but it'll end up being a good harvest. And how good, Anthony? Well above average or, or closer to average? Oh, average to slightly above. I think, yeah, I think it'd be the general uh, thing across the district. Now, you, obviously, that, that 200 mils through harvest. So I'm imagining ever since the rain arrived, it's just been stop, start, stop, start. Yeah, that's right. We've had plenty of spells, uh, you know, often only getting two or two or three days a week of harvest. And and in saying that, a lot of it was taken off at high moisture and we were fortunate that uh, some of the receival points were taking high moisture grain. If they hadn't have taken the high moisture grain, we would have been... Well, we'd have still have a long way to go. Okay, so they bumped up their tolerances a bit j- just to accommodate the, all of that high moisture grain. Yes, they they're accepting up to fourteen percent, and uh, I think initially they w- would have thought they'd blend it, but they got so much their their aerating bunkers and doing all sorts now to um, to manage the yeah grain that they've received. Okay, good thing it's their problem and not yours, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Anthony, you're you're still going on harvest? Yes, got 230 hectares to go. It seems like it's been a, a string of challenging harvests uh, in your part of the world with rain for the past several summers, it seems, just continuing to be disruptive. Yeah, the last three have been difficult and, you know, it'd be nice to get back to a season where we actually get our season. So we get a nice, hot, dry summer and, you know... Um, That'll let the country dry out because uh, cropping in the high rainfall zone, if you get a wet start, it's it can make it challenging all year. If it's, you know, it only takes a little bit to top up and you have a wet year right through. So, yeah, it'd be really nice to get back to um, nice hot, dry summer and, you know, uh, more good seasonal conditions, nice autumn and wet winter and, you know, a good spring. And just on that, that point about a wet start being a big problem in in Western District, Southwest Vic, uh, where you sit right now with, with all that moisture you've already got and who knows what rain may be on the, the horizon, are you, are you worried that you could have difficulty in getting the crop in? Well, it's it's a concern, but, um, you know, we'd love a favourable autumn now and give us a little bit of a time to uh, dry out and prepare for next cropping and, yeah, it a wet start is a concern, but, you know, you never know what you're going to get. So we've got a bit of moisture there, so we'll, 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 we've got it. So we'll, we can't do much about it. So we'll just hope that we get a favourable season ahead. And the season that you've just been through, Anthony, apart from <laughs> big rains in at certain times of the year, any other challenges associated with that in terms of uh, disease, slugs, etc.? Uh, there was issues with slugs early on, and then later there was um, a lot of hype about septoria and um, some of the rusts, and that didn't. There might have been some damage in some crops, but in some varieties, but mostly the grain was good. Your part of the world, Anthony, are you you seeing year on year more and more crop going in? Oh, absolutely, yes, and I guess with the um, hiccup. With the with the livestock prices, they've actually recovered a bit now, which is good. But where they were prior to um, harvest or later part of last year, uh, I would have thought a lot of people would have been looking to put any other arable area they had in crop. But we'll see now. Like the livestock prices have recovered, and um, yeah, it's looking positive again. 
And how much potential is there for more cropping? I guess how much more land out there is there that that's suitable for cropping that is currently pasture country? Yeah, that's a good question. The majority is already in crop. Uh, always um, farmers that, I guess, produce their preference. So they, they're livestock people. That's what they enjoy doing and that's what they do best. So they stay in that commodity. But, you know, if uh, economics force them to, they could swing over to crop. But I would say, you know, 80 well, it's hard to put a percentage on it, but yeah, most of the good arable land's in crop already. That was Anthony Mulcahy, who farms at Skipton and Vite Vite, speaking there with Angus Furley. And it's not just people in the Western District that are out enjoying the uh, weather at the moment, getting some farm work done. Lola, uh, Lola Patton in Corriong, North East Victoria, has sent a message in saying that they're multi-disking paddocks to prepare for autumn sowing. That's on 0467 842722. Uh, and a few more, uh, a few more people wanting to comment on the Victorian government allowing duck shooting to go ahead uh, this year. One here saying that mass shootouts don't just affect the targeted species; it turns the whole rabbit into, sorry, it turns the whole habitat into a war zone. I get a wide range of refugee waterbirds every single duck season. Thank you for that. Uh, one here from Macca saying. Uh, Jane, I tried to cook wild duck years ago. It was bloody terrible, and never again. I wish they had a Corella season like the duck season too. There's far too many of them. Thank you, Macca. I know Corellas can be a pain as well. Not sure whether they taste much better than duck though, but thank you. Uh, one here saying, Jane, I don't shoot ducks, but have seen the relentless destruction that ducks do to crops. The activists and townies are out of touch with reality. Allowing the season is a good thing. That one's from Dave in Lake Tyres as well. It is 14 minutes to the news at one o'clock. Jane McNaughton here with you on the Victorian Country Hour. Now, how long have you waited for a project that you've worked on to come to fruition? Could you imagine waiting more than 20 years? This month, the dried fruit industry celebrated the launch of a new grape variety, which has been in development since 1999. The variety uh, has been given the name Sunbold, and Dried Fruits Association Chairman Mark King says he's hoping the new variety will deliver higher yields and address issues with rot and mould that have long played the traditional Sultana variety. So those old Sultanas, they just weren't, well, I'm going to say they weren't developed, but they, they were all that was available when they were planted many years ago. They just can't handle the rain. And, of course, hate to say climate change, but it's changing. We're getting more rain periods and what have you. So DFA, um, that's an industry, is trying to encourage growers to change over to those new varieties. Best risk management they can have. They can spread their harvest over a long period because... Instead of it all coming in in a mad week in February or mad three or four weeks, you can start at the end of January and you'll finish at the end of February. Your staff, you might only need half the amount of staff. Can you give me a bit of a picture of the dried fruit industry at the moment? How many people are planting vines at the moment for dried fruit production? At the moment, there's about 250 growers in the dried fruit industry. We have lost a lot of the smaller growers. Retirement, you know, they've just sold. Often the neighbours have brought the properties We've got growers now that have bigger areas, and we've got corporates that have come in too. But we do the vine counts. We've had a lot more vines go in in the last three or four years than we ever had before, or going back to the 90s, any rate. And are you hoping that a new variety like this one might encourage more growers to get back into the market? 
oh, I hope it does. I mean, there are other new varieties out there, but this one here, if they, well, we had 50-odd people turn up here today, which was really good. And obviously the, um, they're keen to see what the new variety is. CSIRO Honorary Fellow Peter Klingeleffer was involved in the development of the Sunbowl variety more than two decades ago. By our breeding standards, it's quite short, but by other standards, it's quite long. The cross was made in 1999. The seedling from that cross would have been planted in 2001 or 2002. For dried fruit growers, the launch of the new variety is bittersweet. Sunbold represents one of the last new varieties that are likely to come out of a CSIRO breeding program that is now no longer producing new crosses for dried grapes, table grapes or citrus. CSIRO Crops Program Research Director Dr Anne Ray says CSIRO has redirected its plant breeding program to focus on wine grapes, cereal crops and pulses. So we've had long-standing programs in, in citrus development, table grapes and dried grape breeding. The work is evolving now, so we're no longer making new crosses in our breeding work, but we are still evaluating the advanced selections that have come from those crosses. So we still have a large number of selections which could be potential varieties, and we're continuing the work to evaluate those to see which ones have the best commercial potential as new varieties. And what's the reason for not making any new new lines? It's some decisions, I guess, about support for that work. So the work that we do in breeding any type of crop is generally supported and often by industry funding. If that industry funding isn't available, then we're shifting that work into the next stage, taking that forwards to look for ways of, of using the material that we've already generated and getting products out of that. So it's really about where the industry support is coming from and which stage of that breeding pipeline we are focusing on at the moment. But who who will be taking over that work of generating new crosses in the future? I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that's something that the industry needs to um, to look at and evaluate where the opportunities can come from. We know that there are other, other breeding companies with an interest in delivering varieties for Australia. So, for instance, the, 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 the company that we're partnering with for the citrus varieties is, is able to access a wider variety of, of material which would come to Australia and benefit the selections that are available here. So there are other people who have an interest in doing that work. It's not, it's not only CSIRO who's able to deliver that, but we're interested in partnering opportunities. That decision that we would, we would move from the initial crossing into the evaluation was made quite a number of years ago. This is something which has been in, in, in process for quite a long time now. That was CSIRO Research Director Dr Anne Ray and in that report from Elsie Kennedy. Uh, still a lot of conversation about the Victorian government uh, allowing duck season 2024 to go ahead. Uh, one in here saying, I'm sick and tired of hearing duck hunting being referred to as a sport. It's not a sport. We don't shoot for the premiership trophy at the end of a season. We shoot to fill our fridges with healthier, sustainable meat for our families to enjoy. I love being able to harvest meat for my family and would rather gain uh, meat this way than buy it from the supermarkets that you don't know where it's actually come from or how it is produced. Uh, and we've actually got a caller on the line as well. Daniel's called in from just north of Bendigo. Welcome to the Country Hour, Daniel. Thanks, Jane. I just wanted to uh, call in and comment on uh, how pleased myself, along with the hunting community, are in regards to the announcement yesterday. It gives uh, the hunting community some confidence uh, in the 2024 season. And the minister also talking about the future of changes from the 2025 season into the future. So it's a great announcement. And I'd just like to, uh, you know, agree with that last text 
that hunting uh, duck is not about just going out into a swamp and, and shooting ducks for the fun of it. It's uh, actual a way of life for the majority of us. It's a, a cultural tradition that's uh, been generational for most hunters. And it is uh, an undertaking that we participate in for uh, the harvest of, of our, our meat. Uh, mitigation does play a big part in some farming practices for the control of duck populations. But the, the biggest part of this argument is our seasonal hunting parameters. And the majority of hunters hunt for food. Did you think that the 2024 season was going to be cancelled? I spoke with a lot of people from both sides of the argument last year who um, obviously anti-duck hunters, uh, anti-duck hunting advocates were saying that that was something that they were really uh, hoping would happen and a lot of people from Field and Game in Australia, for example, just didn't have a lot of confidence that it would go ahead. So were you surprised by this? I, I was uh, somewhat surprised. I, I did back the... the uh, the advocacy um, and the work that our hunting organisations had done, along with the great support from our Victorian MPs who have helped advocate for their communities and for the wider duck hunting community through the process. Obviously, the, uh, the parliamentary inquiry uh, had, a, had a report recommending the ban of hunting with over 10,000 submissions lodged. We've got to remember that uh, we don't know the breakup of those 10,000 submissions. A lot of the anti-hunting groups would make you believe that all 10,000 were against duck hunting, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that there was uh, thousands upon thousands that were all pro-hunting submissions to that inquiry where we've seen uh, uh, the, re- the result in a recommendation wasn't accepted and that was a pleasing uh, outcome for our hunting communities moving forward. So I dare say you'll be heading out on the 10th of April to uh, do some recreational shooting? Yeah, I, I will be. Uh, although uh, it's disappointing uh, with the announcement of a highly amended season again, which in some instances goes against the Game Management Authority's initial conclusion to their submission report in December, uh, it still will be an enjoyable uh, duck season, although shortened, and a big part of that too is supporting the regions and really injecting uh, a lot of stimulus into our struggling regional communities. And uh, all, all hunters contribute to that, uh, especially through my area of Lodden Compasby, where where hunting generates, you know, over six million dollars uh, per year in duck and quail hunting uh, pursuits of, of our hunting community travelling through the state. No worries. All right. Well, thank you for your uh, time on the Country Hour today, Daniel. Thanks a lot. That's Daniel there, talkback caller from just north of Bendigo. We better head to the markets. First, we're off to Wodonga to check in with the cattle market. Good afternoon, Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. In a sale reminiscent of the previous auction, feedlots once again played a pivotal role over 2,400 cattle, setting the overall tone and driving prices to higher levels. 
in pursuit of numbers. Notably, exceptional lines of vendor bred steers gained premium prices, attracting strong interest from feedlots. Trade buyers, however, found themselves mostly relegated to the sidelines, as only a few domestic processors showed willingness to participate in the market. Feeder steers experienced a lift of 15 cents, with median weights fetching 290 to 362. Trade steers, although limited, traded at 322 to 344. The demand for grass finished trade heifers in the 400 to 500 kilo range intensified, leading prices to jump 30 cents. The heifers ranged in price from $3 to $3.36. Medium weight feeder heifers also saw a 20 cent improvement with the highest bid reaching $3.36. During the export sale, a big group of buyers stood at the rail and competition was strong, forcing prices up by 40 cents and more in instances. The bulk of these sales Fell within a range of 290 to 336 in the cow sale, a significant influx of buyers vied for well-finished heavy cows, propelling prices 11 cents higher. Heavy cows, 270 to 290. Good quality bulls range from 240 to 359. I'm Leanne Dax for MLA. Thanks for that, Leanne. And now let's head back around the corner in Ballarat for the lamb market with Shiona Lamb. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers increased to 24,800. Quality was playing to excellent. The market opened stronger over the store lightweight lambs and the trade weight categories. This intensity continued for the heavy export lambs. As the sale progressed, bidding became erratic and softened midway to the end of the sale. Store buyers were active early in the market, paying $5 to $10 a head for dearer. Light trade sold mostly firm, medium trade to five cheaper. Heavy trade were to 10 softer, heavy export lambs were to 7 cheaper for the lambs 26 to 30 kilos, and over 30 kilos sold to $5 a head dearer. Store buyers paid back to the paddock 77 to 144, and to feed, lambs to feed on paid 135 to $168 a head. Lambs to the trade to suit MK orders sold 93 to $142 a head. Young lambs in wool 18 to 24 kilos sold 141 to 182. 24 to 30 kilos sold 180 to $204 a head, with an average of 7.20 to 7.70 cents a kilo carcass weight. Sean Lamb sold 135 to 192 from 18 to 24 kilo lambs, and 24 to 26 kilo lambs sold 185 to $220 a head, to average 7.40 to 7.80 cents. Heavy export lambs 26 to 30 kilos made 202 to 239, and over 30 kilos 238 to 270, with an average of 7.60 to 7.90 cents a kilo. Hoggets gained $10 a head and sold 91 to 192 for the crossbreds and 80 to $150 a head for the merinos. Sheep are still to be sold. This is Shiona Lamb at Ballarat for MLA. Thank you, Shiona, for that update from the Ballarat market there. Uh, we were expecting a shepherding cattle market update as well, but that hasn't come through just yet, so apologies about not getting to that. Uh, just a couple more texts on the text line. One saying that it's frustrating how union pressure can make a Labor government backflip. Uh, yet when it comes to timber or live sheep where people's livelihoods are affected, they don't care. That's referring to the ongo- uh, the duck season going ahead for 2024. Uh, and that's about all we've got time for today on the Country Hour. Um, really appreciate all of your contributions today uh, and letting me know what you think on 0467 We'll pick it up all again tomorrow on the Victorian Country Hour. But right now, it's news time, one o'clock.